Hello, everyone. Thanks uh, very much uh, for coming to this session today. I'm going to talk to you about the work that I've been doing over the last five years, trying to make sense of the Islamic State's propaganda. So make sense of these videos that it produces, make sense of why it is as violent as it is. I want to start by first showing you this. This is Telegram. Um, this is the platform of choice for the Islamic State at the moment. So everything that follows in this presentation, all of the data, all of the primary sources, it all comes from this network of, uh, of, of disseminated channels on Telegram. Obviously, there's loads of different functionalities and loads of people who aren't jihadists using Telegram. But at the moment, at least, this is far and away the most important platform for it. I'm going to very, very quickly uh, try and give you a whistle-stop tour or a deep dive into the Islamic State's approach towards propaganda, so why it makes propaganda, what its own literature tells us about its use of propaganda. Um, a really useful lens for understanding it is a book that was published offline in Iraq, written by the organization, published offline in Iraq a few years ago, and then published online on Telegram uh, back in 2016. The next video, uh, there's a few videos in this, this presentation, no uh, gory stuff, um, but the next video just gives you a sense of uh, what this book is. It shows you uh, very quickly how the Islamic State kind of venerates uh, media work. And the video itself is called Media Operative Euromajahid 2. So it's all about raising propaganda work to the same level as actually fighting on the front lines. ضابط مصابر يا همام وقرأ على الدنيا السلم هذا زمان العاديات إلى العدا فإلى الأمام ضابط مصابر يا همام وقرأ على الدنيا السلم هذا زمان العاديات إلى العدا فإلى الأمام نعم الشهادة فانتشر عطر الهدى بالانتحام وبغي الحياة كريمة ودعس على الموت الزؤال تلقى الجنان قد انطوى تحت البيان والحساب أبغي الشهادة طالبا في الدوس هل على مقام تلقى So that's just a very short clip of a video that lasts about 20 minutes, and it goes on to um, explain. It has a, a guy from the Salah Hadim province media office essentially explaining why propaganda is so great uh, in, a, in a way that no other jihadist group has done before. So it's really quite revolutionary stuff. Um, when you strip away all of the kind of theological rhetoric and all that, what becomes clear is that there are three kind of core principles that underpin all of the Islamic State's propaganda. So the reason it makes propaganda, the reason it makes propaganda for its supporters and also for its adversaries. So I'm just going to run through what those are uh, and give you a couple of examples. The first and probably the most important aspect, innovation of the Islamic State's approach to propaganda is its presentation of an alternative narrative. So, we often hear counter-narrative as something in CV, counter-violent extremism, it always comes up, what's the counter-narrative that we can use? But 
I think the best approach actually is to kind of not think about counter narratives and actually respond to the Islamic State's alternative narrative with one of our own. So, that document that appeared at the beginning of that video said explicitly that the job of the Islamic State propagandist is to paint a brighter picture of jihad. Crucially, they have to make a statement about what life is like in the caliphate or what life was like in the caliphate. It's not enough to just respond to this alleged conspiracy,、uh, global conspiracy against Sunni Muslims. And another very, very important aspect of this, and this is all central to why this group was able to attract over 40,000 people to join it in Iraq and Syria over the last few years, is that It was presenting a new way of life. It wasn't just saying you can come to join the Islamic State and fight and die for us. It was saying you can come and join the Islamic State and live for us. You can be a founding father or a founding mother of a new utopian state. The video、uh, that's going to appear next is a video called Building Blocks. It's just 50 seconds of a, a, a clip from last year, around this time last year, produced in Raqqa. And it just sets out the various administrative practices of the Islamic State. That sounds pretty boring, but when you think about it in the context of this group, it's really fascinating. كمسك فعلها عطر ففيها الحق مؤتلق ونور ما به كدر I love that guy at the end.、Um, this is a group that's selling itself through governance. Yeah, it's violent. Of course, it's violent. We all know it's violent. But the key appeal that it's been making over the last few years isn't just violence, it's not just brutality, which is, of course, very important to it. It's the ability to give security,、uh, give abundance,、uh, help farmers, school children, all of that stuff. Whether it's happening in reality or not is another question. But in its propaganda, this is the kind of idealization of reality that the Islamic State's been peddling over the last few years. The next、uh, principle of Islamic State Stratcom is counter propaganda. So, this is kind of fairly run of the mill stuff. Everything that is not made by the Islamic State itself,、uh, all mainstream media, all media from other jihadi organizations as well, it's all considered to be propaganda. And what the Islamic State has done over the last few years is very systematically ramp up this idea of there being a conspiracy against Sunni Muslims. And of course, it's the,、uh, the Crusaders. The West,、uh, America, which is leading this conspiracy. This, again, is another quotation from that book at the beginning. That media operatives are beholden to respond to the frenzied media campaign of the enemy. One of the most important aspects of that has been, in the last year at least, reframing what it looks like when the Islamic State is being defeated in a city. So, this next video clip is from、uh, either Mayadeen or Raqqa. Uh, it was released at the end of last summer,、um, just before both of those cities were captured by the Syrian Democratic Forces, backed by the coalition. Now, 
what was interesting is, at the time that this video was released, the Islamic State's defense of these cities was really quite desperate. Its fighters were holed up in a small set of locations. They were focusing on sniper operations, a few suicide bombings. But they certainly weren't looking composed. Yet, as you'll see in this video, and I want you to, not so much, I don't think there's any speech in it, but I want you to really focus on the visual aspects of it. It's so carefully choreographed. It's so carefully choreographed. It's trying to frame the Islamic State's military as this professional military, which has no uh, lack of, of faith, no lack of, uh, of courage in the face of the enemies that it was facing, uh, fighting at the time. <laughs> It just goes on to, um, it's actually, a, it's, it's a weird video, uh, even by the Islamic State standards. They, um, <laughs> They uh, threatened to assassinate Prince Harry uh, for some reason, which is very, very uh, out of the blue. Usually they stay, steer clear of royalty. Um, but what is interesting is they never actually wear this stuff. And there were certainly not vehicles like that involved in the defense of Raqqa or Mayadeen at the time this video was released. It's all about, again, creating this idealization of what it is to live and to fight for the Islamic State. Now, the last aspect of its strategic communication is the media bomb. So this is its words, not mine. Um, this is all based on the, the concept that everything that angers the enemies of Allah is a form of jihad. So that's, again, another quotation from that booklet. And it's derived from this dead Saudi uh, jihadist cleric who essentially said that, yeah, you can fight the kuffar, you can fight the disbelievers physically, but you shouldn't just stop there you can wage psychological warfare against them as well. And this is something that the Islamic State has done in a way that no other jihadist group has done before. Of course, you've got groups like Al-Qaeda really trying to do it, uh, focusing on terrorism as a, uh, an act of propaganda of the deed, a way to communicate resolve uh, with few other uh, tactical goals. But the way that the Islamic State has done it has been, uh, again, professionalized. It's been revolutionized. It's run with a concept that others have thought about uh, but never really achieved the same effect from. So when I talk about this, I think it's essentially offensive information warfare. Whether we're talking about a terrorist attack in uh, Barcelona, as you'll see in this next video here, how they communicated about that, or even the videos of Jihadi John, Mohammed and Wazi, standing on side a hill beheading someone, the way those were packaged to be viral, the way they were packaged to be uh, essentially media bombs, a way to really violently reach into households all over the world, brand the Islamic State in a way that it's not been branded before. But the problem is these attacks require just everyday items, just a car, no guns or explosives. And with so little planning required, it can be hard to spot them and stop them. Screams and panic tonight on Barcelona's most famous pedestrian street. Thirteen people are dead after a vehicle plowed into a crowd. So that kind of video is 
fairly stereotypical in the, the way that the Islamic State communicates in the aftermath of a terrorist attack. The Arabic that you heard in the middle of, of that, that was Abu Muhammad al-Adnani. He was killed in uh, August 2016 in a drone strike in northern Syria. But the quotation that they used is one which is very, very famous now and has come to characterize what the Islamic State is doing uh, both in Syria and Iraq and, and elsewhere. It's essentially a way to recalibrate the priorities of its war uh, to focus on the enemies of, of Islam outside of the caliphate rather than focusing on the state-building project. So he says that if the tyrants, if the tyrants close the door to Hijra, so Hijra is traveling to join the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq, if the tyrants close the door to Hijra to you, then it is upon you, O supporter of the Islamic State, to open the door to jihad on them. So essentially, if you can't come out here, wage jihad back in your home countries. And this has kind of become the key trope that is defining the Islamic State's communication today. Now, this is a picture of Raqqa. Um, there's a, another photograph uh, from a few years earlier showing uh, a very similar scene, but it was black flags of the Islamic State rather than the yellow and green flags of the Syrian Democratic Forces. I think what we're looking at now is a new dawn in the Islamic State's history. It's not going anywhere. Materially, yes, it may have been defeated, but ideologically, I think you can make the case that it's potentially more uh, powerful than it's ever been before. The brand is certainly more dispersed across the world. It's had years of being able to demonstrate that it can not only talk the talk, but walk the walk too. And the years' worth of propaganda that it's been producing, they won't just be forgotten. I mean, sure, you can take them off YouTube, you can take them off Facebook and all that stuff, but there will be other places on the internet where you can find all of that. And that will be the lifeblood of the Islamic State moving forward. Yes, the proto-state building project, the education, the agriculture, the markets, all of that stuff, that may have been put on the back burner for now, but they've got all of, all of the, the footage, the archival footage they need to again hark back to this golden age uh, of, of, well, a new golden age of Islam. And I think that as it refocuses its, its attention elsewhere, terrorism will be increasingly important to it as a way to show that, yeah, it may have lost all of this territory, but actually it remains a group that is potent. It remains the right group to be a member of. And this is because the Islamic State is trying really, really hard to keep the people who have been fighting for it for the last few years, to keep them on side. So it needs to constantly try to, to motivate them. If it does continue on this trajectory, I think we are looking at a new phase in global terrorism, one which is potentially more violent and more indiscriminate. And <laughs> I wish I could finish on a more positive note, but maybe we can pull something out in the Q&A uh, to, to make us all a bit less miserable. Um, <laughs> thanks very much. That was interesting. So, um, hi everybody. Uh, before we start the uh, general Q&A, um, I would like to ask some questions and uh, just to discuss, especially regarding content platforms and uh, what could be a possible solution to counter propaganda, especially from the Islamic, Islamic states. Um, you presented some content, some 
propaganda material that was found also in the internet, of course. And in the past, for example, Facebook and YouTube um, deleted millions of terror propaganda. And uh, I think last week, uh, Europol um, uh, uh, reported that they have destroyed uh, several propaganda channels in several countries. What do you think about this um, solutions or these ways uh, to counter IS propaganda? I think there's a really good argument to be made for, for making it more difficult to find Islamic State propaganda. Um, and today, I mean, it's so much more difficult than it was a few years ago. Uh, you can't just go on Twitter, you can't just go on Facebook or Google or whatever, type in a few keywords and find yourself right in the middle of the Islamic State's disseminator nexus. But what you can do, uh, it's more difficult, obviously, but what you can do is go onto something like Telegram. Now, Telegram, as I said at the beginning, it's at the moment the most important platform for the Islamic State. It has a bit of a weird ambivalent policy towards uh, how it's used. At the moment, it doesn't seem like it's trying to get the Islamic State to, to stop using it. But that means that you've, as uh, the pressure has been put on by YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, there's a huge number of jihadis who have found themselves moving onto Telegram, where it's more secure, they can do more stuff, they can talk more openly, uh, and they can stay online for longer without being suspended. And, and that kind of means that there's this weird ecosystem that's emerged there, which is kind of actually good, I think, for counter-terrorism uh, agencies and, and law enforcement, because they know where they are. You can see the conversation that's taking place. With regards to the Europol thing, Now, the, the press release for that said that uh, a huge hole had been punched in the Islamic State's ability to, to publicize propaganda, but I've seen literally no, no change whatsoever. Um, I think the, the, they took down a few static websites, but, I mean, it was a drop in the ocean. Potentially, there's more stuff behind the scenes that will have a strategic impact in the long run, but at the moment, I haven't seen any change. And this is kind of the story of, of most counter-operations against the Islamic State over the internet. I mean, there's a lot of talk about them, uh, a lot of excitement about them, but in real terms, there's often not very many discernible effects. Uh, well, you promoted, or um, on the other way, we always talk about Facebook or Twitter, and you also said, uh, for example, Telegram is also uh, very relevant. Um, on the other side, when we want to counter Islamic propaganda and uh, we want to have a counter-narrative, um, what do you think the most counter-narratives in, in the past are driven by governments or religious leaders? Wouldn't it be better if the counter-narratives would be have more content or would let people speak who has left Islamic State, for example? Would it, wouldn't it be more effective? I think so, yeah. I mean, people who have been there, done it, and decided that they don't want to ca carry on doing it, they have more credibility. Um, but it all depends who the, the target audience is. I do think that when governments have done, uh, tried to do counter-narrative stuff in the past, um, it's, it's not been very good. Uh, but that's because they're not used to making propaganda. I kind of think that governments shouldn't bother uh, because it is just too toxic an area to get involved in. I think there's much better counter-narrative, alternative narrative stuff that can be done offline, not through making flashy videos, but through just good social work by giving people uh, a sense that they are uh, part of society and kind of trying to cut away at the things that make um, fertile recruitment pools for, for groups like the Islamic State. There's a a video produced by, I can't remember what it was called, the, um, the State Department's Counter-Stratcom um, 
agency that, that just focused on the Islamic State uh, a few years ago. It's changed its name now and actually changed a lot about it. But this video is kind of the prototypical example of why governments should really steer clear of trying to engage in, in the narrative space with the Islamic State. It was called Welcome to ISISland, and essentially it just pulled together some of the, uh, the most brutal executions that the Islamic State had done, put them all, spliced them together into a nice video, and then uh, uploaded it onto YouTube. And I mean, this is exactly what the Islamic State wants. I mean, they, they love their brutality. And they had the State Department making a video that got over 100,000 views. I think it's the only counter-narrative video to get over 100,000 okay. views. And uh, I think it was more by people who are glorifying the violence rather than being shot by it. Well, in the past, we also see that the Islamic State changed its strategy, its media strategy, all over the years. Um, and they are very active. Uh, they have uh, good community management. They are very good digital communication people. So maybe what can we learn from the Islamic State? Is there something we can learn uh, how they work, how they promote, and how they do the propaganda on, uh, in the digital world? Well, I think... Uh, one thing you can learn, but so if you, if you look at the last few years' worth of um, Islamic State propaganda, yeah, there's a load of theology in there, and ideology is very important to the group. Uh, there's some, Islam is kind of weaved into as much stuff as possible. But the core appeals that it's making, the core promises that it's, it's giving out to the people who live, it's, it, it's ruling over, or people who are prospective, uh, prospective uh, members, they're mainly rational. It, the, the, they're things like security, economic uh, wealth, uh, agricultural abundance, um, an ability to, to be educated. Part, like um, the, the community aspect of it is very important as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that perhaps all of these flashy videos have been something of a, a, a red herring to people who are trying to counter it because that I think we're getting distracted by the quality and not thinking enough about the substance. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot that can be learned from that. I mean, there's, there's tons of different stuff as well that, that can be learned of, but I think at the moment the most important thing that we need to do is think very, very carefully about the substance of, of what the Islamic State is doing, not just look at the window dressing, not just look at the, the quality. Okay. Um well, I have got a lot of questions, of course, on my list, but I think it's also important to hear your questions. If you have any questions, please give us a sign. So I will start. Oh, yes. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you very much for this really interesting talk. Um, I have two very quick questions. One is, um, thankfully, you excluded any gore from uh, your presentation, yet it plays an important role. Um, can you talk a little bit about why something that usually is um, something people don't want to see uh, is so attractive and is used, and how it is used, and which role it plays in propaganda? And the second one is, um, very, at the beginning of your talk, you said um, you're doing this for five years. Can you speak a little bit about the background of your research, who you're doing this for, and who's listening, basically, uh, outside of this room to what you do? Because it seems like you have tremendous insight, and so it would be very interesting to hear um, where you do your research and how you do it. Okay, cool. Um, I will I'll answer the first one first. So, uh, violence is very, very important to the Islamic State. It's kind of the often the be-all and end-all of, of what it's trying to do. It's the ability to show that it is acting, to show that it's trying to violently um, revolutionize the world. And, and that's really, really important to it. When it comes to the executions that we're all too familiar with, 
the way that the Islamic State uses uh, th that kind of footage, it's not just to um, intimidate adversaries, it's not just to, to scare people, it's not just to try and deter potential defectors or spies, it's also a way to energize supporters of the group. So this is what I was going back to. Um, this goes back to what I was saying at the end about the Islamic State trying to show that it is, uh, again, violently reversing the status quo. So when you have Americans in orange jumpsuits rather than uh, Iraqi Muslims in orange jumpsuits, when it's uh, the balaclava-wearing terrorist killing an American in an orange jumpsuit rather than the other way around, or rather than uh, them allegedly being tortured or whatever in Guantanamo. All of those symbols are very, very important. It's all about the Islamic State constructing this, this image for itself. And I think that, again, we've almost become distracted from the fact that this is the group's idealization of itself. This isn't necessarily what it's doing. These are snippets of the reality that it's creating for itself. In terms of the, the background, I, so I work at King's College London, and we do a lot of work with um, uh, different governments uh, all over, so I, I've worked quite closely with the Coalition um, and the Foreign Office and Home Office in the UK, um, and the State Department and the UN, all trying to essentially do what I did here, but in a bit more detail, and show how the Islamic State responds to the shifting circumstances that it faces, so show how the loss of territory, for example, has, has played out over the last few years in this big shifting kind of recalibration of its narrative. Um, hopefully, I mean, I don't know if they are listening, but hopefully they're listening. Um, I think uh, certainly communication and propaganda, uh, whether it's offline or online, I think it's become a decisive battle space in, in terms of revolutionary warfare today. And it's not just the Islamic State that's doing it. I mean, all, all groups are making propaganda. And what the Islamic State has done is kind of raised the stakes. It's, it's made a lot of other groups rethink their own communication practices. So again, I think it's going to stick around for quite a long time, whether the Islamic State is relevant or not. Hi, thank you, first of all, for your presentation. Um, I was just wondering about the question of vocabulary we use and the coverage of the Islamic State, because there has been this discussion about whether we should even use the words that they kind of give us. And yeah. in France, I think they switched it so they only use the word Daesh. And um, I was just wondering if you think... Um, basically what you think about this discussion, if it's even worth our time or uh, what kind of role you think the vocabulary plays? I think it's a really important thing to, to keep in mind, but I think we're, too, we're coming to it too late to make a difference to, to the terms of reference. So the Islamic State has been, since 2006, known as the Islamic State, first of the Islamic State of Iraq, then the Islamic State in Iraq and Asham, and then just the Islamic State as it is. It's interesting because, and I, I've often thought about this, um, Al-Qaeda, which is obviously had been the most notorious jihadist group before the Islamic State popped out of, um, well, appeared to pop out of nowhere. It's always been referred to with that Arabic term, which means the, the base, basically. The, the, the base, yeah, I think the base works. Um, so it seems a shame, uh, a great shame actually, that the... Arabic hasn't been uh, the preferred way to, to, to refer to the Islamic State because that would have fewer connotations if it was just a dawla rather than the Islamic State. Uh, and I think there would be that separation, but I think it's just too late. 
you, referring to it as Daesh is, I mean, I, can, I think it's good that governments are doing it, um, but I don't think it's a silver bullet that's going to actually cause any harm to the group. I've seen people on Telegram, Islamic State supports on Telegram, kind of bemo- uh, moaning about being called uh, Daesh and, and saying that's not our name, we shouldn't be uh, referred to as that. But I don't think it's anything more than a, 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 hint, a, a, a mild irritation for them. Um, but I think it's still something that's really important to keep in mind because I think it's healthy to constantly remind ourselves that this group is kind of co-opting the religion of Islam and doing lots of weird stuff with it um, in a way that any extremist group could do the same with Christianity as well. Uh, but to constantly remind ourselves that, yeah, it may be calling itself the Islamic State, but actually it is just a political movement which is using Islam to justify a whole bunch of things. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's implementing any true version of Islam. Okay, thank you very much. Unfortunately, we don't have time for any more questions. Can we have a round of applause for our speakers, please? <laughs>